from holiday matches in Montreal to living in the shadow of Gotch versus Hackenschmidt and a match against a new Ottoman invader. It's the story of Tom Jenkins, part nine. Crazy territory stories, double crosses and swerves. Pro wrestling history nerds. Holy crap, we did it. We're here. Am I using the royal we, the collective we? Am I not alone in this room? Am I including you in this, even though we are far apart? Are we bringing this together through the power of podcasting, through the passion for history? Maybe, maybe not. Who am I? What am I even talking about? My name is Nick Gossert. I am a pro wrestling booker, a pro wrestling promoter, a pro wrestling ring announcer. But more importantly for today, I am a pro wrestling historian. And we we are back continuing the tale of Tom Jenkins, Tom Jenkins part nine. And as you probably can imagine, if you are tuning in for the first time, if you said, hey, I should try out this uh, this show of yours. Well, thank you for being here. Thanks for checking it out. But if you are not familiar with the early days of pro wrestling, the pioneer era, if you will, maybe start with part one. There's a lot of information uh, throughout this whole thing. I did set out to make the most thorough, the most in-depth, the most comprehensive Tom Jenkins biography on the market. And by golly, I think I'm doing just that. So part nine is a weird place to start in. But if you're familiar with the Gotch era, the Hackenschmidt era, it's the same era. You'll get a lot out of it, and maybe you'll go back and listen to everything else. I can only hope you're enjoying the ride as much as I am driving it. Because I have kind of gone back the, the last year to really re-examine a lot of the Pioneer Era stuff that I covered early in the show. And a lot of that is my own fault, because I didn't research the way I research now. I would read a few books, I would take those authors research, conjectures, opinions at face value. I would just be like, hey, I read this book. This is what this person thinks. I read this book. That's what this person thinks. Well, what did I think? I really didn't have the context to provide that. So I'm not talking trash about the people who wrote a lot of the early biographies of these people. A lot of times they did it before the internet era, so they didn't have the resources, the tools that I do. So they didn't have the capacity to, you know, sit down and scroll through every single article in the year 1907, the year 1908, that involved the words Tom Jenkins. So they would go to their library, or they would dig through the microfiche, and the problem with history at that point is the reporting wasn't always great. Sometimes the sports writers didn't care about wrestling. Sometimes they would misspell names. Sometimes they would have the names completely wrong. Sometimes they didn't know who was who, so they reported that the wrong guy won or the right guy in the wrong way at the right time or at the wrong time. Sometimes they would just say, hey, I think I've seen enough and I need to get on my train back to home. Otherwise, I have to spend the night in this city that I don't know. And they leave saying, cool, this guy won one fall. I Maybe he's the champion now. I don't know. Sometimes they add in something that didn't happen or admit something that did because they're trying to make it more sensational. It's all about selling newspapers, just like pro wrestling is all about selling tickets. So yes, you have to have a lot of information in front of you. You have to say, cool, I heard 10 versions of the story 
and this is all the overlap, so I feel like this is the truest version of things possible, presenting the best facts in the case, and that's what I'm doing these days. So I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you've been on this journey with me. We're, we probably have two more episodes, including this one, of the Tom Jenkins story. Again, I really set out to make the most comprehensive biography available. And yes, I'm even leaving a lot out just to get to this point. Probably we'll turn it into a book at some point. But for now, let's make it audio. Let's make it storytelling because that's what pro wrestling is all about. So we left off in the last episode with Jenkins versus Alphonse Stewers in Montreal, where Stewers claimed he had an arm injury, but he had that first fall. So under the European Greco-Roman rules, he was declared the winner. Jenkins makes the case and the complaint that it should be a no contest, so on, so forth. And we're now at that stage of Jenkins' life where he, you know, he's past his prime. You know, it happens to every athlete. But he got an off-ramp. He got an offer that very few, if anyone, ever does, aside from him, where Teddy Roosevelt offered him that cush job. I'm sure it was very stressful and strenuous, but compared to being a wrestler on the road, it was a really sweet deal where he was coaching wrestling and boxing at West Point. So he was teaching at the most prestigious military academy in the United States, coaching wrestling, coaching boxing, no more traveling required, no more hyping up big matches, there's no more intrigue and politicking and press. He just gets to wake up in one place every day, kiss his wife goodbye, go to work, come back home. But once you have show business in your blood, once you have competition in your blood, once you have, yes, how do you go back to the farm when you've seen Perry? It's hard to walk away. That's why you see so many legitimate athletes go back for too many fights past their prime and they bring their record very close to 50-50. You see wrestlers doing the kind of indie booking type of thing, which was very much what Jenkins was doing. He would be able to take matches during the holiday breaks at West Point. Obviously, he wasn't going to jeopardize his career. But hey, it's Christmas time. I'm going to sneak away to Montreal and wrestle a Belgian Greco-Roman man under dubious circumstances so that nobody's really the winner, but nobody's really the loser, where he walks away more or less intact, probably pocketing a fair chunk of change. Good for him. Good for anybody who had fun. The audience in that first match clearly didn't enjoy things. You can hear more about that in our last episode. So we pick things up on January 1st, 1907, where nearly every newspaper in the United States lists Frank Gotch beating Tom Jenkins for the title as one of the biggest sporting events of the year. It was right up there with Frank Kramer winning the Paris Bicycling Grand Prix for $1,000, Ralph Rose breaking the world's record in the shot put, and Frank Neal knocking out Harry Tenney in San Francisco, who later died of his injuries. Yikes. On January 23rd, a match against Yankee Rogers as part of a benefit at Madison Square Garden was announced. It was a benefit for Terry McGovern. Terry McGovern was a boxer who held the bantamweight and featherweight championships and was occasionally a vaudeville performer as well, as many top athletes were in the day. 
he was notoriously bad with his money and blew tons of it betting on racehorses, then purchasing a racehorse and trying to have his brother be a jockey. And if you're thinking, compulsive behavior like that is a sign of mental illness and or CTE, well, you're right. He ended up spending most of his later years in mental institutions. According to the Brooklyn Times Union on January 24th, 1907, the venue was packed, there were sports and performers of all kinds, and it raised $10,000, though the Brooklyn Daily Eagle claimed $12,000. Jenkins and Rogers went to a 30-minute draw. Almost all of these were exhibition type of things. Nobody's there to win or lose. Everybody's just to entertain and raise money for a man who everybody liked, but who blew all his money through bad decision-making. So nobody's really going to go all out. Nobody's going to take a loss, nobody's doing anything silly or damaging to their image. Everybody's still got to get up the next day and be a pro wrestler. So all images were maintained through competitive 30-minute draw exhibitions. But apparently it was well-liked enough because soon enough there were reports in papers like the February 1st, 1907 Montreal Gazette, claiming that a proper match between Rogers and Jenkins was in the works. But everyone, and I mean everyone, was talking about only one match, and that was the potential Frank Gotch versus George Hackenschmidt match, which seemed more certain than ever, with a Russian lion returning to the U.S. and Frank Gotch being the champion. Cities were fighting over it, with Kansas City being the early favorite, having offered $10,000 for the guarantee. That is an enormous amount of money in those days. But the Yankee Rogers Tom Jenkins match was set for Friday, February 8th, at Somer Park in Montreal. According to the Montreal Gazette on the 5th, it would be two out of three falls, catch as catch can rules. $1,000 purse to be divided 75%, 25%, and as a special attraction, there would be a screening of the Britt Nelson fight film. So we are getting into those days where they would actually have a film strip lined up so you could watch a little bit of a boxing match as a cheap opener. Beats the heck out of paying transportation for a few other people. Jenkins won the match in two straight falls, which is honestly shocking. 22 minutes in the first, 15 minutes in the second, and this was witnessed by 3,000 fans. Afterwards, the referee read a message from Alphonse Stewers asking for a rematch against Jenkins. Addressing the controversy of their first match, Jenkins stated that he never claimed to be a Greco-Roman man and offered a catch-as-catch-can handicap match where Jenkins would have to throw him twice in an hour or do a mixed rules two out of three falls. And that announcement came via the Montreal Gazette on February 9th, 2007. And this match itself, the Rogers versus Jenkins match, I, I feel like this might have actually been a shoot match because it's very strange to see a part-timer win two straight falls against a competitive man who they need to build up for bigger matches to put over guys like Gotch, Hackenschmidt, Beal, whatever. So if it's a work... It was a regional plan for Montreal because we're seeing 
Jenkins in Montreal a lot. So have him kill a guy too, you know, too straight. So it sets up a rematch for this kind of goofy schmas finish against Stewers, make it a little more meaningful, skew the betting. There's a lot of options for why it was how it was. So if it was a work, I assume Yankee Rogers was taken care of and promised cool things later down the road. And if it was a shoot, well, heck, Jenkins really, really put in the effort there. But I feel this was a bit of storytelling for the sake of selling tickets for the Stewers rematch and making Jenkins the betting favorite. There's a lot of plots within plots, wheels within wheels, whenever they're planning big matches in professional wrestling. The Monday, February 11th, Montreal Gazette announced the rematch against Stewers for that Friday, February 15th, at Somer Park, under the conditions of catch-as-catch-can, with Jenkins having to throw the Belgian grappler twice at an hour. The undercard was to feature Karl Busch and Karakanov, the Turk, under Greco-Roman rules. The Montreal star quoted Jenkins on February 15th, quote, I prefer to wrestle cleanly always, but if that Belgian lion, as he calls himself, tries any funny business with me, it'll be a case of back to the Belgian forest for him, in quick order. Tough words. Tough words. Ultimately, Jenkins could only throw stores once at the 35-minute mark, and thus lost under the handicapped rules, according to the Montreal Gazette on the 16th. At the expiration of the hour... Jenkins dropped to the mat from exhaustion, quote, He told the crowd that he had no excuses to make, but he would like to say that it was hard to ask any man to stand a stiff hour's work in a smoke-laden atmosphere like that of the park. Stewers was wildly cheered for his success, the Belgian evidently being a big favorite with the majority of those present. The Montreal Star called it, quote, The best bout witnessed here for a long time. So at least they learned their lesson from their first match and remembered to entertain the crowd. So this was a much smarter way to go about things because Jenkins got a fall. If it was a two-a-finish match, one fall, he would have won. But because of the stipulations under the catch-as-catch-can rules, he didn't win enough, so he lost. Again, it makes Jenkins look strong, but beatable, and humanizes him, and it makes Stewers look strong because he was allowed to outlast the time limit, competing under the rules that he is not terribly successful or familiar with. So it's nobody loses because nobody lost, or he won because he didn't lose enough. Again, it's convoluted, but it serves a purpose. I got excited at first reading this, the Kansas City Star on February 28th, the Missouri Athletic Club had secured Convention Hall for a two-night wrestling carnival March 18th and 19th. The plan is to bring Tom Jenkins, Fred Briel, Pirelli, the Italian who appeared here in a handicap match against Gotch, and Stewers, a Belgian grappler who is abiding in Montreal. The winner in the first night's wrestling will meet the second night, and also the losers. But... Sadly, I found nothing more about this tournament, so I assume it ended up not happening, changing its lineup, changing its format, moved to a different date, something along those lines. In the April 1st, 1907 Waterbury Democrat, 
it was reported that Jenkins had turned down several big money offers to do tours, but is happy staying at West Point. And who can blame him? Again, the big money tours would put, you know, a year's salary in his pocket, most likely. But you know what? He plans on living longer than a year. So, yeah, you can offer some decent money for, like, that one last run type of tour that a, that a fighter, a grappler, a wrestler, or whatever might have. But in the long run, he's smarter than that. He stays at West Point. He provides for his family. He is engaged with his community. He knows he has a good thing in the long run, and he's smart enough not to fuck that up. The Montreal Gazette on April 6, 1907, covered the Eugene Tremblay versus George Bothner match at Somer Park and concluded the article by announcing another match between Jenkins and Alphonse Stores the following Friday, April 12th. Quote, the conditions governing which have not yet been settled. On the 9th, the same paper claimed that Stores had signed a contract to wrestle Jenkins, quote, under the best terms that Jenkins could be secured, the Belgian was holding out for Greco-Roman rules, but acknowledged that it would probably be catch-as-catch-can. The Montreal Star on the 10th laments the trouble a promoter has to go through to match Stewart's and Jenkins, and how the match will be mixed rules, a coin toss to determine Greco-Roman or catch-as-catch-can for the first fall, and same story for the third if needed. The Montreal Gazette on April 13th recounted the previous night's match. The first fall was under Greco-Roman rules, and to no surprise, Stewers won it in 27 minutes. Under Catch's Catch Can rules, Jenkins pinned Stewers to the mat with, quote, a partial half-Nelson and a scissors in 22 minutes, 40 seconds. There was a bit of arguing for the third-round coin toss, the referee apparently put the coin under his foot and asked Jenkins to guess it. And when that format was rejected, he properly tossed it in the air and Jenkins won the coin toss. The match was exciting with Jenkins nearly getting caught several times in the third, but finally turning Stewers over with a half Nelson at the 16 minute mark. Quote, in spite of the fact that the prices had been raised, there was a capacity house. So we have now seen a great pro wrestling rivalry and story told there in Montreal. They had their match late the previous year. It ends with an arm injury, a misunderstanding of the rules, lots of drama. We have a handicap match where he pins Stewers once but couldn't quite finish it. And it's under rule sets that Stewers is not familiar with or very good at. So now we have a mixed rules. So you have all the drama combining to this final thing. They're on equal footing with the split rules match. It's all off of a coin toss. And they again, they raised the ticket prices and still packed the house. That means it's successful across the board, a good rivalry, a good story being told, a success, no matter how you slice it. And if you've asked yourself, or, you know, asked me out loud talking to the podcast, why was Tom Jenkins in Montreal so often? Well, today it's a five-hour drive from West Point to Montreal, so I assume a train ride in those days was even shorter. 
it was a hot enough market to draw well for his matches without him having to go balls out for a training camp versus Gotch or Beal or whatever hot up-and-comer would want a piece of him and having to do the press tours and try and hype things up and get a big building like Madison Square Garden. This was him taking it easy, if you will. He was still able to use his name and his capacity to drive up the business in Montreal, but it was still kind of doing things. He was kind of playing the game on easy, if you will. It still worked. It was still a success, but he wasn't having to operate the way he used to. From the Tacoma, Washington News Tribune on August 22nd, 1907, Tom Jenkins, famous wrestler, wants a match in Tacoma. It's a truly empty article, just claiming he'd like to wrestle there. The paper threw out that Jenkins versus Roller would be interesting. It's the 1907 equivalent of a wrestler tweeting, What promotions want to book me? Just keeping his name out there, keeping the interest out there, reminding the world that he still exists and he's still wrestling. As you probably noticed, the mentions of Jenkins are getting fewer and further between. It's not like he mysteriously disappeared off the face of the earth, he was just busy coaching at West Point, but that's not newsworthy. To the sporting fans, he was yesterday's news. The Minneapolis Journal on November 17, 1907 wrote, Tom Jenkins has retired, or should if he has not. Again, it's not like there was social media in this day where you could see him on the mat at West Point with cadets and hashtag blessed or some equally dumb shit like that. The Montreal Gazette on December 14, 1907 reviewed the Fred Beal versus Yankee Rogers match, won by Beal. The article concluded by announcing that Jenkins was going to compete in a handicap match where he had to throw Rogers and Pirelli inside of an hour. On the 18th, the Gazette praised Jenkins by claiming that, quote, despite his many years on the mat, is probably the peer of any wrestler in the game today, with the exception of Frank Gotch. And the handicap match, it took place on Friday, December 20th, 1907, from the Gazette. Jenkins won match. Handicap resulted in defeat of Rogers and Pirelli in 44 minutes, 12 seconds. Not in condition at that. Ex-champion weighed 225 pounds, but showed all-time cleverness. Rogers was first, who lost in eight and a half minutes, and Pirelli went down in 36 minutes. Quote, Jenkins was fat and a bit flabby when he stepped on the mat last night, and it looked too big a job for him after two heavyweights in perfect training and dispose of both within an hour. What was the point of this match? Obviously, it's Christmas break, so Jenkins was able to take a booking, but what was in it for, well, anyone. I assume Somer Park was a hot venue in a hot wrestling town, and it was easy to get to for Jenkins. It was low pressure compared to trying to get a big match at Madison Square Garden or traveling further to other markets, but why were Rogers and Pirelli in position to job to an out-of-shape former champ? What were the paydays like? What were they promised down the road? Well, add those to the list of things I'll never know. On December 29, 1907, 
The Detroit Free Press covered Mark Lamb, a Cleveland promoter who was willing to back Jenkins in yet another match against Frank Gotch, so long as Jenkins put up a $500 forfeit to guarantee that he trained properly and get in shape. Yikes, probably bad for your self-esteem when your training and conditioning is now wildly and widely uh, mocked by the press to the point where, hey, we know you're awesome, but we need to make sure you're going to show up in good shape. It's a body guy business, kids. What can you do? The media was also bringing up Jenkins as a possible opponent against Hockenschmidt upon the Russian Lions' return to the States. I can't imagine Jenkins wanting any part of that match at this point in his career. Dr. Benjamin Roller was also calling for a match against Jenkins in Spokane. In a weird turn, he asked for a private match in the January 10th, 1908 Spokane Chronicle. Quote, Big Doc Roller of Seattle is after a match with Tom Jenkins, which says must be pulled off in private. The winner to take all the receipts. Just how Roller expects there to be receipts from a private wrestling match is something of a question which probably only Roller's mighty brain is able to solve. Yeah, not too sure on that one myself. January 15th, 1908. Montreal Gazette claims that Jenkins and Fred Beal would meet on January 24th in a handicap match. Jenkins would have to throw Beal twice in 90 minutes. Beal pushed for 60 minutes, but quote, Jenkins knows just how clever the little fellow is and would not consent. A weird setup, because it was not that long ago that Beal was chasing Jenkins hard, saying he would put him down in a to-a-finish match, two out of three. So to see it change to a very goofball carnival type of match with the handicapped, a weird choice. But again, everybody seems to be making in Montreal, so I guess it makes sense. The January 25th Montreal Star covered it with, Beal threw Big Jenkins last night and won the match. Jenkins secured the first fall at the 18-minute mark, and Beal pinned Jenkins in 14 minutes. Again, remember that it was a handicap match where Jenkins had to pin him twice to win, but Beal only had to land one. Jenkins was criticized for not being in the best shape, while Beal looked fantastic, as did the match as a whole. Quote, the match was expected to be of championship caliber, and those who witnessed it were not disappointed, for it is doubtful if the wrestling public of the city ever saw a better match. And Jenkins was also given the heel treatment. I assume over the match against Stores, or possibly that Beal was gaining in popularity in that area, but when Jenkins got the first fall, quote, they got after him for no apparent reason, and his reception was not a pleasant one. After the match, Jenkins put over Beal to the crowd, telling them that, quote, he had been fairly beaten, and he was not the man to squeal. On February 8th, my favorite paper for wrestling, the Omaha Daily Bee, covered the match as part of a sports roundup. Quote, poor old Tom Jenkins, former champion heavyweight wrestler, is about ready for the D&O, down and out, club, as was shown by his failure to throw little Fred Beal twice in 90 minutes. They are always so sassy at that paper, and I love it. The Pittston Gazette on February 24th, 1908, finally a reference to Jenkins in the lead-up to the Hackenschmidt versus Gotch match that was actually about Jenkins. Still, it's not much, 
just an announcement that Yankee Joe Rogers and Jenkins may wrestle in New York. I complained slightly because everyone was talking about Gotch versus Hackenschmidt, and in every single article, they would bring up Jenkins as being the measuring stick between the two for how quickly they both beat him or how many times they beat him, under what circumstances they beat him, which is an important way to hype a fight. It definitely buries Jenkins, but as a researcher, it was very annoying because 99% of the articles that had the words Tom Jenkins in wrestling in it was actually just about this match, thus it was a lot to dig through for very little. March 5th, the Waterbury Democrat announced that Jenkins would be the referee between Gotch and Rogers the following day. Quote, This ensures everyone a square deal and a run for their coin, as Jenkins knows every turn in the game. The terms of the match, and I shit you not, were that Gotch had to throw Rogers five times in an hour. That's right, he had to throw Rogers five times in an hour. He'd used this match... Gotch had more or less was trying to like create mind games with Hackenschmidt, trying to say, oh yeah, well you beat him once, I'll beat him five times in an hour. So it was kind of him creating a arrogant loudmouth character in the press, but how did it play out? The Washington DC Evening Star covered the Friday, March 6th match the following day. Rogers stalled off champion Gotch. While Gotch was in control the entire time, he only finished Rogers twice at the Amsterdam Theater in New York City in front of 3,000 fans. A half Nelson pin in 26 minutes, and then with a toehold in 10 minutes. By not winning, Gotch forfeited $500 and the entire receipts. Jenkins had to give Gotch a talking to over his rough tactics, for which Gotch was infamous. Jenkins saved Rogers several times by restarting the match after Rogers would crawl off the mat when in danger. The crowd was less than thrilled with that behavior. The Buffalo Courier on the 8th claimed that, quote, At the end, Gotch was dizzy from his terrific efforts of the last few minutes. Some good judges of wrestling said he appeared a trifle too fine and would have to get in much better shape to stand a chance of beating Hackenschmidt. And thus, the purpose of this match is exposed. Gotch was a plot-within-plots-within-plots kind of guy. He was a brilliant tactician with wrestling both on the mat and for creating a narrative, and for getting in the heads of opponents if it was legitimate. With this, he came across as a cocky yet unable to fully back it up kind of guy. The exact way he wanted to appear both to Hackenschmidt and to the betting public for when that match would come together, should it come together. The Fort Wayne News on March 18, 1908, featured Jenkins challenging Gotch, Rogers, or any other heavyweight wrestler. Quote, I have been taking good care of myself, said Jenkins, and am satisfied that I am in as good condition as ever. I assume this is because it was during the press cycle of Gotch versus Hackenschmidt, and everyone was trying to throw their name out there for a match. Wrestling was as hot as it ever was or ever would be. So, yeah, it's pretty much somebody trying to angle for a good match on Mania Weekend. It's just, again, him just trying to get a payday, keep his name out there, while everyone is talking about wrestling because of Gotch versus Hackenschmidt. 
The Omaha Daily Bee on March 31st skewered Jenkins over his challenge to Rogers and Gotch, claiming that, quote, maybe Jenkins would like to wrestle Gotch in New York with a referee like himself, and that, as for Rogers, wrestling him is like taking money from the poor, and that, quote, the only reason he isn't hollering with the other American wrestler for Gotch to beat Hackenschmidt is that Hack played football with him in New York and Gotch also threw him. Again, a sass overload from the Omaha Daily Bee. And then it finally happened on Friday, April 3rd, 1908. One of the biggest, most anticipated pro wrestling matches of all time. And no, Tom Jenkins wasn't involved. George Hackenschmidt and Frank Gotch wrestled at the Dexter Pavilion in the Stockyard in Chicago. If you were reading American papers at this time, this match was inescapable for months. It was front page news. Everyone was talking about it. Everyone had an opinion on how it would turn out. This match was a masterclass in hype, in marketing, in salesmanship, in pro wrestling. I could, and very well may at some point, do an entire episode on the months leading up to the actual match, but I'll keep it simple for now. From the Chicago Tribune on April 4th, 1908, Gotch Champion, Hack Quits Match. Big wrestling match ends in fiasco after two hours slow work. Lion loses courage. Russian wanted to stop several times. Winner carried out of ring by the crowd. The match began at 10.19 and lasted two hours and one minute. The New York Times reported that promoter W.W. Wittig added enough lights that it was bright as day. The referee was Chicago sports writer Ed Smith, who was such a gotch fan that he very well could have had his name tattooed over his heart. His book on pro wrestling gushed about the champion. Depending on the paper, the New York Times reported 8,000 people, the Tribune reported 6,000, other papers later said 10,000, so not sure if it was bad information early on and it was corrected to the higher number, or if the higher number was just inflated for pro wrestling uh, braggadociosos, if that's not a word, but I'm going to go with it. So yes, it could be the myth, it could be the reality, not 100% at the moment. Gotch had Jack Karkeek, Emil Clank, and Farmer Burns in his corner. Americus and Rudolf Unholtz cornered Hackenschmidt. It was a story of strength versus speed, Greco-Roman power versus catch-as-catch-can technique. Hackenschmidt faced one of the greatest problems a dominant champion can have. An opponent they can't steamroll and who takes them into deep water with a long match. This is something seen in fighters who are used to dominating every match of their career. If they can't impose their will and finish early, they don't know what to do. Quote, When the half-hour mark had passed, Hackenschmidt began to lose courage and Gotch commenced a running fire of ridicule, repeating, You came all the way to get licked, did you? Well, you are an American now. The other problem was Gotch fighting dirty. Quote, the American's rough work, principally thumbing the eyes, was roundly hissed at this stage. Hack's face was smeared with blood and he seemed on the point of quitting, but regained his courage once more and assumed his forcing method. It was either man's bout at the end of 25 minutes. During the next minute, Hack dropped to his knees and tried to grasp Gotch by the ankles, but he was not quick enough. 
The Iowan again and again worked his thumb on George's eye, and did it so plainly some of the spectators hissed him and told him to cut it out. Hack again appealed to the referee, who shook his head and told him to continue. The New York Times claimed that Gotch, quote, roughed his man's features with his knuckles, butted him under the chin, and generally worsted Hackenschmidt until the foreigner was at a loss how to proceed. Gotch was bleeding from the mouth, most likely from a head clash in the clinch, but Hack was intentionally getting hurt, injured, damaged. After a while, Hack started dropping his arms and asked for the match to be a draw, but Gotch and the referee refused. As the match went long, Gotch managed to land a huge slam, and I picture it very much like the famous Hulk Hogan slam against Andre the Giant, and then he got a toehold, but was too tired to crank it and do much with it. He couldn't finish Hackenschmidt, but he kept his weight on Hack, who at 12.30 simply gave up the fall, the match, and the title. Hackenschmidt refused to explain himself, though in the days to come he would claim a lack of conditioning due to travel schedule, along with winter bout of influenza and rheumatism. What happened? As I've stated before, there are two ways to work a match, when everyone is in on it, and when everyone except one person is in on it. Hackenschmidt, from what I've seen, never worked matches. He was from the old European Greco-Roman world, where he was the king of legitimate competition. Gotch, on the other hand, was a brilliant wrestler, but from the carnival tradition of American pro wrestling. Hackenschmidt knew how to scout and how to put off matches as a mind game and a way to protect his record. Very much how Mayweather Jr. does things. And Hackenschmidt's matches seldom went past the three-minute mark. Gotch, on the other hand, played a long game of making himself look weak, arrogant, and prone to dumb mistakes. He also knew how to draw out a match, often giving up a fall to boost betting, and would give people their money's worth. At this point, Hackenschmidt's body was starting to break down as well. His joints, especially his knees, were feeling the years of heavy weightlifting and wrestling. Gotch was in his athletic physical prime, and his catch-as-catch-can style with leg takedowns and toeholds were a serious threat to the Russian lion's already injured body. Hackenschmidt was also used to more honorable opponents who wouldn't throw punches and go for these eyes, or at least would expect the referee to step in when it happened. Ultimately, he was alone with a man who could probably have out-wrestled him cleanly, but Gotch seemed to enjoy fouling people for the sake of entertainment, power, or just plain meanness, who knew he could frustrate his opponent and drag him past his cardio point so his strength wouldn't be a factor. And the referee was there to award Gotch the win, not to scold him for breaking the rules. And now Gotch was the undisputed world's champion, $10,000 richer, which is around $290,000 in today's money, and his name became famous across the ocean as the man who made Hackenschmidt quit, he was now one of the biggest sports icons in America, if not the world. Tom Jenkins, on the other hand, wasn't exactly having the best week. The April 4th, 1908 Buffalo Inquirer reported the death of Jenkins' father, Thomas Sr., at the age of 95, from the article, I learned that Jenkins' mother had passed in 1906. 
By mid-April, the talk was about whom Gotch would face next, and Jenkins was allegedly, quote, after the scalp of Frank Gotch, as per the April 15, 1908 Brooklyn Daily Eagle. Why would Jenkins, who is now past his prime, has a steady government job, and shows up out of shape for smaller matches during the academy breaks, want a challenge against the best wrestler in the country? Well, have you ever heard of money? It's awesome if you haven't. Clearly, the two men knew how to do business together, how to hype people up together, and the payout would certainly be way more than it was the last several times they locked up in the ring. The Salt Lake Tribune on April 21st quoted him as saying, I am back in the wrestling game once more, and my goal is gotch. You will remember that when he threw me, I was far from being a well man, but I still dumped him for the first fall. I took that match on one week's notice, and I honestly believe that if I had had time to train properly, there would have been a different story to tell. I threw Gotch in New York when he was at his best, and I can turn the trick again. At any rate, Gotch has repeatedly refused to meet me since he defeated me in your city. Your city being Kansas City. If you give me another chance, you will find that I can be an awfully easy man to do business with. Gotch can name the terms. I'll do the wrestling. I want to meet him in Kansas City, and if he requires it, I will make a substantial side bet. Meanwhile, Gotch was mulling all of his options and resting up after the conclusion to years of his efforts to get Hackenschmidt in the ring with him. The Brooklyn Times Union on May 1st, 1908, claimed that Jenkins was interested in a match with the French champion, or, quote, champion, Ramon Cezou in a mixed rules match. Jenkins said that he would be ready in a day's notice if needed. So yeah, we're definitely seeing a cocky Jenkins in the press trying to hype up for matches. The Newark Eagle star on May 2nd, 1908, reported that the match between Jenkins and Cezanne was set for Madison Square Garden on Monday, May 11th. The papers were hyping the match, Jenkins' training, and how he was eyeing another crack at Gotch. Until the Brooklyn Daily Eagle on May 10th reported that Cezanne badly injured his shoulder. Johnny Dune of the Star Theater wired Jenkins asking him to meet Fritz Moll, the terrible Swiss. At the Star Theater on Tuesday night, quote, As Jenkins is anxious to wrestle, it is expected that he will accept the offer. The St. Louis Dispatch on May 12th had an article about Frank Gotch agreeing to meet Jenkins under the asked-for condition of the toehold being barred, even if a $5,000 side bet was required. Quote, A great majority of the wrestlers believe that without his famous Tribly Twister, Frank would be like a bartender sans suds. They are fooled this time. Frank is willing to file away his favorite hold for a few months and make the match look more even for the benefit of the former champion. Jenkins has been doing a lot of talking, said the champion last night. Now I am going to see just what he calls for. I will bar the toehold for Jenkins, but I want him to post that 5K. The match against Mole didn't happen. The Brooklyn Times Union on May 20th covered the story. Mole refused to wrestle catch-as-catch-can since he didn't understand the rules and had little experience with it, and Jenkins didn't want to wrestle Greco-Roman style. The Southern Press on 
July 17th reported that Jenkins, Ernst Rober, George Bothner, John Pining, Leo Pardillo, and others would give exhibitions the following day in New York as part of a bigger athletic and entertainment fundraiser for the New York Home for Destitute Crippled Children. And if there's not a more guilt-inducing name than that, I don't even want to know it. And then a bombshell dropped, as many papers, including the Salt Lake Tribune on July 26, reported that Gotch decided to retire. Quote, he figures that he had better quit now while he is young and wealthy, rather than go on like Tom Jenkins and a few others, who must wrestle in their old age. Ouch. Hurtful. Unnecessary. Ouch. For those of you who know a bit about wrestling history, you, you might be thinking, wait, Gotch didn't retire. Well, that's because he would declare himself retired or retiring, and then unretire almost immediately a few times. He might have been doing it to catch a breather, to stay hot in the press without having to do much of anything. Remember, he spent years chasing Hackenschmidt and working nonstop, so it's entirely possible. He would be playing these mind games. He'd be doing the title switch with Beal. He'd be doing things like the, I'm very arrogant and full of myself. I can throw Rogers five times in an hour and then I fail. He was just on this constant quest with side quests and battles and obstacles to get a shot at Hackenschmidt. He got it. He won. And frankly, where do you go from there? How do you adjust your mindset? What are you supposed to do? Remember when a sports writer used the Gruber quote, When Alexander saw the breadth of his domain, he wept, for there were no more worlds to conquer. About Jenkins? Well, it truly applied to Gotch at this point. And when you've beaten the final boss, what challenges can you find to properly motivate yourself? The September 28th St. Louis Dispatch, Jenkins comes to life, claims that Jenkins wants a match with the big Bulgarian, Yusuf Mahmoud. The Brooklyn Daily Eagle published a letter from Jenkins' manager challenging Mahmoud. Quote, I understand that Frank Gotch has refused to defend his title against this latest Turkish wonder with jaw-breaking handle whom Pieri has steered to these shores. It's no more than one would expect from Mr. Gotch. Tom Jenkins made him quit in the last match they had at the Garden, and it is only last spring that Gotch refused every inducement to come to New York and give Jenkins, who, compared to him, is an old man, a chance to regain his title in a match in Madison Square Garden. Jenkins is in the best sort of shape, as his position as a wrestling instructor keeps him trim and is determined at everything in his power to force Gotch into a match. As a starter, he will take on this Turk of Pieri's, whom Gotch is afraid to meet. Pieri says that he wants to bet a little change and will wrestle. Winner take all. If the American champion won't give you a match, why, the man who is Gotch's master will. Jenkins beat Gotch and made him quit in every match they had until the last one in Kansas City, when old Tom was so sick he could hardly stand, and only went on to save the promoter, who was a friend of his, from a big loss. Come on, Mr. Turk, hop to the front. Harry Pollock. So far, we are seeing, again, a masterclass in hype, another masterclass in the promo, where Jenkins and his manager is glossing over the fact that Gotch won the match that mattered, which is a title match when the title changed, 
but saying, oh, I beat him every other time that mattered. And the only reason he got the title is because I was so sick I could barely even get out of bed that morning. But I am an honorable man and I was going to show up to honor my booking. So it's that why does he even bother showing up? He barely won kind of attitude. It's burying Gotch, it's promoting Jenkins, and it's positing him as, as being the only man brave enough to take on this new Ottoman wrestler, saying Jenkins is the guy. You know what? Nobody else will face him, but Jenkins will. So come on, put your money where your mouth is and let's do it. The Montana Anaconda Standard on October 6th, 1908, had a piece about the possible Mahmoud versus Jenkins match. The final paragraph read, quote, By beating Jenkins decisively, the Turk will have demonstrated that he has a right to face Frank Gotch, and promoters all over the country will be ready to make the two grapplers offers. And if you're a historian or just a longtime listener, you probably are thinking what I thought when I read that, that they're kind of giving away the, the gimmick, the plan, whatever, but we'll get back to that idea here in a bit. The New York Evening World on October 13th, 1908, had a feature on Mahmoud. Quote, The saddest, loneliest man in New York today is a great big Bulgarian Turk named Yusuf Mahmoud. Poor Mahmoud. He is a sad lot. He's too strong to roll cigarettes. He's too strong to do anything but wrestle. And alas, he's too strong at that, for none will meet him. The piece laments the fate of Mahmoud, who is so damn good at wrestling and refuses to fake matches, so nobody will wrestle him. He knows he can beat Gotch if he gets the chance, and he calls everyone afraid for dodging him. The Brooklyn Citizen on October 21st described Mahmoud as thus, quote, If you look at this Bulgar over, you can see reasons why anyone would go out the back door when he came in the front. He looks like he was cut out of a piece of cold steel. When you size him up, you feel like you wanted to go home and grow up to manhood. His scarred face is absolutely immobile, and his huge jaw works like the hinge on the county jail door. His shoulders look like those of a Gibson man, and his long arms work like steam cranes, only quicker. When he shakes hands with you, you feel sad all over, and suddenly remember that your health is very poor. His hide is very brown, and is about as thick as sole leather. If you are building up an unbeatable menace, you can't do any better than that. From the News Journal on October 22nd. Wrestling match arranged at the Metropole Hotel in New York City. Jenkins and Mahmoud's managers came to agreement for a match. Catch as catch can, $1,000 aside, two out of three falls, date to be determined. From the Detroit Evening Times, October 24th, something that seems out of nowhere, Jenkins broke or dislocated his collarbone, or quote broke or quote dislocated his collarbone, and thus had to drop off of his match with Jess Westgard. And this is a match I saw no announcements for in the lead up against Mahmoud until this, and then the Washington Post mentions Jenkins versus Westgard to happen in Cleveland on 10 20. Within days, there were several other articles about the situation, almost like it was canceled due to injury as soon, if not before, it was announced having been put together. 
And you would think that this would put him on the shelf for a very long time. A broken collarbone is three months of recovery if you're young and healthy in 2023. And that's if it's a mild break. Yet the Brooklyn Daily Eagle on November 8th announced the match against Mahmoud for November 27th at Madison Square Garden. And quickly it was announced, as I found through the Brooklyn Citizen on the 12th, that the match has been moved to Thanksgiving evening. And wrestling, honestly, is hot on Thanksgiving. WWE, then WWF, always had a big show on Thanksgiving. My show, Lucha Libre and Laughs, I always run the night before Thanksgiving, Blackout Wednesday, a lot of people call it, because it's a party night. It's a family time. Whichever market you're going after, they're going to be available. If you are running general ticketing and you want to run Thanksgiving night, well, guess what? You're going to have lots of people in any given city. They're visiting family. People need something to do after dinner, however you want to put it. They will buy tickets. It's always a very successful night. Plus, boxing had recently been outlawed in New York, so people were also wanting to watch a combat sport of any kind, and boxing had been taken away from them, and by default, that's going to push a lot of ticket buyers to the wrestling market from the boxing fandom. It was also reported that the parties would select a referee during a meeting that Friday at the Metropole Hotel. What weren't they mentioning? Literally anything about his collarbone. The Brooklyn Standard Union on the 17th announced the referee as Jim Bagley, quote, who has judged many an important wrestling event in this city. The Montana Anaconda Standard on the 20th covered Mahmoud Youssef's match against Swedish wrestler Hjalmar Lunden on Wednesday the 18th. Mahmoud threw him twice in 36 minutes. Quote, that Mahmoud should handle London so easily stamps him a wrestler of ability and makes it look very bad for poor old Tom Jenkins, who is partially blind in one eye and practically all in. Jenkins may have one more good bout left in him, but it hardly seems possible that he can beat this Turk. November 26, 1908. Tom Jenkins versus Yusuf Mahmoud. Quote, the Turk completely outclassed the American, and after the first 20 minutes, wrestling had him practically at his mercy, reported the New York Times. Quote, Mahmoud weighed 199 pounds and was in perfect condition, while Jenkins tipped the scales at 220 and was out of training, being flabby and slow in his movements. It was pointed out that it took less than an hour for Mahmoud to win both falls, including the 15-minute rest between falls. The first one in 32 minutes, 40 seconds, and the second in 7 minutes, 30 seconds. The Star Press on the 28th claimed that, quote, The Turk boxed Tom's ears with many a good smack. It was a great surprise because Tom is no kitten when it comes to roughshod work. The referee had to warn again and again to cut out the cuffing. When they came out for the second bout, Jenkins rushed at Yusuf in a rage. He reached up and tore the amulet from the Turk's neck. It is his religious mark, and he never wrestles without it. He set up an awful howl the minute it was ripped from his neck. As he stooped to pick it up, Jenkins grasped him around the neck and shook him like a hound would a hare. I didn't find that detail anywhere else, but if it's true, it's a beautifully dramatic bit of pro wrestling, and if it's not, a hell of a way to dress up the match. 
What else was a beautiful, dramatic bit of pro wrestling? The entire setup to this match. We have Gotch claiming to retire just as a new foreign menace arrives to challenge him. We have Jenkins claiming to be injured and dropping off the match right as it's announced. We have Gotch claiming to retire just as a new foreign menace arrives to challenge him. We have Jenkins claiming to be badly injured and dropping off of a match right as it's announced. We have Jenkins trying to regain past glory with challenges against Gotch and a challenge to Mahmoud. We have Mahmoud claiming everyone is afraid of him and that he won't fake matches. He is positing himself as the real wrestler in a phony sport. We have Jenkins miraculously recovering from a collarbone injury, facing the giant Bulgarian, losing flat, possibly some hot heel work with the necklace grab, and now the papers are aflutter with Mahmoud worthy of Gotch and calling for Gotch to postpone his retirement to face a new terrible Turk. So it's every tool being deployed to heat up the match. Every tool deployed to set up a big money match between Mahmoud and Gotch. We have Gotch claiming to retire. Jenkins coming up to defend the honor of American wrestling. We then have him losing and losing badly to set up Gotch versus Mahmoud. If Gotch would just put off retirement for one more big match to step up against the Bulgarian grappler. It is storytelling, it is manipulation, and it is perfectly done. And where would it go from there? Because now we see Jenkins, whether it was intentional, as in he was in on the big plot, which is my guess, or almost accidentally and through manipulation, being the gatekeeper to Gotch. So now Jenkins is that guy who gets beat, and the person who beats him gets the shot at Gotch. He is now a policeman to Gotch, even if it's de facto instead of planned, but it's the position he is now in past his peak. And where would things go? Would Mahmoud and Gotch tie up? What big matches would Jenkins have in his future, if any, if he's even capable of having them? Where does a man go once the glory days are past, but he still has a love for the ring? Well, we're going to find out next time because we're out of time for now. I'm loving this story, judging from the downloads you are as well. And we still have one, possibly two, but hopefully just one more episode. I like wrapping things up in a 10-part series. It just seems so, so perfect that way. But in the meantime, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, on Instagram. I love posting the old photos. I love posting the headlines. I love posting the the weird details that I find so you can see the source material. I do want to take a second to thank Lydia and Steve for research donations. If you feel like kicking in a few bucks, by all means, I, I, I would appreciate it. Doing all of this isn't free. Hosting a site isn't free. Research materials aren't free. I would be doing this for free no matter what. But if you have a few bucks that you want to send my way, my Venmo is in the show description. But until next time, I'm Nick Gossert. This is Pro Wrestling History Nerds. Have a good one, everybody. Hey.